Jogging, dance, and therapy. How did Tommy die? We watch Silver Linings Playbook. We are the film fellas. We watch random movies that you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and the answer you seek was inside you all along. I'm Nick, and I use my turn signal too long. I'm Caleb, and when I make a reference to a product that doesn't exist, I use Spacely Space Brockets. I'm Robbie, and I picked up oil painting again. Let's get into it! Like I said, we are the film fellas. This week we watched Silver Linings Playbook. This was Caleb's pick. Caleb, tell us a little bit about this movie and why you picked it. All right. So this movie came out in 2012. It's directed by David O. Russell, written by him as well. It's based off of a book by Matthew Quick that came out in 2008, I believe. And it stars Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Did pretty all right at the various film festivals. Got some nominations at the Academy Awards and and won one for Jennifer Lawrence's performance. And I chose this movie because I remember seeing it closer to when it came out. So I saw it in like 2013, 2014. And, you know, it stuck with me in some ways, but like I forgot in others because I was really young and didn't quite understand it. Or not really young. I was younger and didn't quite understand it. But I remember I did a monologue from the movie in college. So I wanted to revisit it with you fellas because it's been a while since I've seen it. And yeah, so that's why I chose it. And that's why we're here today, fellas. Let's start off with our one-sentence summaries. Caleb, go ahead. All right, my one-sentence summary is, this movie's got something for everyone. It's got jogging, it's got football, it's got dancing, and it's got Robert De Niro betting on sports. It's something for everyone. Uh, Nick, what's your one-sentence summary? My one-sentence summary is, two people with mental illness bond over dance. Hey, and Chris Tucker's in it. <laughs> I literally have that note. The first note I put is, hey, Chris Tucker. <laughs> I'm like, Such a delightful surprise. Ooh, he's from the fifth element. <laughs> I haven't seen you since 2007. <laughs> Where have There's you been? There's the wacky hair. Um, I'm giving it to Robbie. After a while, I went out and left the hospital and walked back to the hotel in the rain. What the fuck? Silver lining. <laughs> wow. Nice. My one sentence summary is lots of yelling, but then there's a dance competition. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> so now we're going to get into the plot synopsis. We're going to go one by one, describing the plot probably poorly because we're doing it from memory. Caleb, feel free to start us off. Spoilers ahead, people. This movie came out in 2012, but if you haven't seen it, you might want to skip this. So we start with Bradley Cooper playing this guy named Pat as he gets out of a mental hospital. He gets checked out by his mother and he's determined to get his life together. He wants to go back and reconnect with his wife and he wants to better himself by exercising and reading books. His mother takes him home and he's living with his parents and we discover that uh, his father has been fired recently from a job and he's bookmaking. He's betting on sports. Fellas. All right. So Pat is now at his house and he's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go see my, my wife. And as he's jogging toward the, toward the school, you're like, wait a second, there might be something off here. And uh, you find out as soon as he's seen by one of the faculty, they scream and start running toward the building. And then he's like, wait, 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 I'm better now. I'm here to help you. How are you doing? And she's like, stay away from me. Stay away from me. He's like, I've changed. Everything's great. Don't you see how happy and fit I am? And she's like, okay, okay, just, just please stay back, stay back. And she goes back in there. And we're like, hmm, there's something wrong here. Which find out is that apparently Pat is bipolar. And he had an episode where he got violent with his wife's... Um, with the history teacher that was banging his wife. Yes while she was in the shower. And while this was happening, he went into a manic episode listening to his wedding song, and that becomes a triggering thing for him. And uh, he goes into therapy, where he's court-ordered therapy, and he hears it in the lobby, and he freaks out in the lobby, and he goes into his new psychiatrist, and he's like, why do you have that song on? And he's like, okay, you know, let, you know let, let's talk about this. He's like, well, I don't have any problems. No, it's completely reasonable. I mean, I walked in on my wife having an affair, 
And yes, I beat him up and I had to go to a hospital, but that was it. Now everything's better. And he's like, okay, we'll make sure that you're taking your medication and, you know, we'll try and move forward. And what we've seen is that he's been spitting out his meds. He's not taking any of them. So he decides that uh, he's still going to go after his wife and make sure that everything's happy because he's changed himself for her. So he's going to be reading all these things because she's a history teacher, uh, sorry, an English teacher, and he wants to be able to read the syllabus and know what she's doing. So he's all cozy up that night and he's reading A Farewell to Arms by Hemingway and he gets to the very end and he doesn't like it and he goes, what the fuck? And throws the book out the window, shattering the glass and goes on a rant. Bella's. So Pat likes to wake up his parents at all godly hours of the morning to go on his delusional rants. This one about how Farewell to Arms doesn't end happily and it goes on and talks about how it has a sad ending and he's like, this is bullshit. Hemingway, you suck. And then he goes on not taking his meds and he has a lot of episodes. He gets in a fight with Robert De Niro and it doesn't go too badly, but the cops get called and they're like, I'm the cop assigned to your case. Uh, You're going to be seeing a lot of me. You guys need to keep it down. We're getting a lot of complaints. And eventually he's like, all right, I'll start taking my meds. As soon as he takes his meds, he fixes the window that he wasn't going to fix and things start to seem to be going okay. Fellas. So Pat's big thing is he wants to get in shape to get with his wife ex-wife question mark probably not in his head and in order to get in shape he goes jogging with a sweatshirt but also a garbage bag over it in order to sweat and he doesn't explain it besides to sweat and at one point when pat is jogging he runs into one of his old friends ronnie and ronnie's like hey pat heard you out of the psych ward and uh sorry i didn't visit you which is a very common occurrence and he invites him over to dinner and he's like ah your wife doesn't like me veronica because she was friends with Nikki. And then Veronica comes out the window and goes, hey, did you invite him? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess she does want me to come over. So he agrees to have dinner with them. And the time comes to go to, to dinner. And he's given the option of either clothes from the Gap that his mom brought, bought or a Philadelphia Eagles jersey from the guy who I don't know because I don't know sports. Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson, who's apparently the man. And he wears that and he goes to dinner and fellas. All right. So he goes to this dinner and uh, we find that Veronica's sister, Tiffany, is also there. And they hit it off in one way or another. They butt heads more often than not. While Veronica and Ronnie are giving them the opulent tour of their home. We discover that Tiffany's husband was a police officer, but he was killed under some mysterious circumstances. Uh, She gens a little testy over dinner. How did Tommy die? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> How did Tommy die? <laughs> that is the question. Veronica offhandedly mentions in the third person that Tiffany is doing well with her dancing thing, quote unquote. And Tiffany gets upset because Veronica is referring to Tiffany as if she's not there. And Tiffany decides abruptly that she wants to leave. She asks Pat to walk her home. So Pat walks her home and they, they have a conversation that is not very productive. Tiffany in how to put so pat walks her home and tiffany uh offers herself to him and pat says no no i'm married and he goes home later the next day pat goes running and tiffany is right behind him jogging very closely (laughs) she's right behind you (laughs) (laughs) fellas he looks behind him and goes, oh no, she's coming. And decides that he's going to just start to sprint as if she sprints faster. And so they start uh, outdoing each other, trying to like parkour across this road as he's trying to figure out how to ditch her. And he's like, what do you want from me? And she's like, why are you being an asshole? And he's like, why are you chasing me? And she's like, because I want a friend. And he's like, okay, but I'm married. And she's like, well, yeah, I'm also married. So I don't see what the problem is. And he's like, yeah, but he's dead. And she's like, fuck you. And then turns around and runs away. He's like, wait, what did I say? Because he doesn't have a lot of self-awareness. So he goes to a psychiatrist and he's like, I don't understand what she wants from me. Like, I'm already in love. I have a wife who loves me. She just needs a little bit more attention and eventually she'll come back to know me. And his psychiatrist is like, well, you know, maybe it'd be a good thing for you two to bond because you're both, you know, experiencing the, these issues. Maybe you guys can t- talk together. And he's like, oh, what? Like a friend? And he's like, yeah, maybe she wants a friend. And he's like, no. And then he's like, well, I don't have any reason to. And he's like, well, you know, she's a friend of your friends who's friends with Nikki. So maybe if you get friends with her, Nikki will start knowing that you're getting better, right? Because he's trying to get Pat to start opening himself up more and try and get him from continuing to obsess over Nikki. And he's like, okay, well, that makes sense. And so he decides that, yes, fine. He's going to go befriend her. 
And so he goes, and now he's chasing her. And she's like, well, I thought you wanted to stay away from me. He's like, do you want to have dinner at this diner right here? And they go to the diner, and she's like, kind of ready for a date because she's been expecting this to go date-wise. And he just orders, like, Raisin Bran. He's like, I just want you to know it's not a date. Like, we're not getting together. And she's like, that's fine. I just want to have a friend. And he's like, well, what's your problem? She's like, well, you know, my husband's dead. And ever since then, I've just been hypersexual. I've been having sex with all my coworkers and it got me fired. And, you know, that's just how I've been coping. And he's like, well, okay, but that's not going to happen between us. And she's like, okay, that's fine. Like, you know, what do you want? He's like, well, I want to, I, I want to, I want Nikki to help me. And I don't want you getting in the way of that. And she's like, well, you know, I could always get you a letter to her. If you give me something, I can do it. You just have to, you know, be my friend. He's like, oh, great. That's a great idea. And he completely like ignores her in favor of being like, ha, I have a way to go get my letter to her despite the restraining order. It's going to be great. Fellas. Robbie, you liked this movie, didn't you? How can you tell? (laughs) (laughs) So they make a bargain that if he participates in her dance competition, she will give Nikki the letter that he wrote So they start doing dance practice. She has this in-law behind her parents' house that is a converted garage that she has a dance studio where she lives. And also Robert De Niro is betting on the Eagles and he's got this whole juju system where he's got to have the remote controls the right way and he's got to like be holding the bandana and he's got this whole thing. And he's like, son, I want you to sit with me. You got to be here and be part of the good luck. It's like, no, I got to go do this dance thing. So there's a lot of dancing and a lot of football and uh, some other stuff happens and fellas... So they start doing their little dance together because there's a Christmas dance, Christmas like ball. Benjamin Franklin Hotel. I think it uh, was on the 28th. It was around 28th, Christmas. Yeah. It was a close Christmas-ish. enough to the holidays. And it's at the Benjamin Franklin Ball, as Caleb has told me, because I forgot to write a lot of key details down like an idiot. Anyway, Pat and Tiffany are doing their dance. or getting a lot better. Pat's actually starting to get into it because he's starting to develop <gasps> feelings for Tiffany. Ooh, a girl. What? And Robert De Niro, Pat Sr., is very unhappy that Pat is spending a lot of time with Tiffany because he's a very superstitious man, and that's bad luck. Anyway, he believes that him hanging out, or Pat hanging out with Tiffany, is ruining the Philadelphia Eagles' chances of winning it all. And technically, they did lose that year to the New York Giants, but we'll get to that. (laughs) We will? Not really. I just wanted to bring up that the New York Giants... (laughs) Won the Super Bowl that year. Oh, okay. But that's besides the point. So Tiffany sees that Pat is starting to get pulled away by Pat Sr. So she devises a plan and she sends, that was me doing air quotes. No one can see that. She sends his letter to Nikki and apparently Nikki writes back in a very quick amount of time. And it's a letter that says that Nikki wants to see progression that's incentive for Pat to keep doing the dance because he's still crazy about Nikki and that's what really drives his bipolar disorder. Fellas. So at this point, Robert De Niro is really wanting his son to get in on this, this juju business. So he sends Pat and his brother Jake to go to this Eagles game to root him on because Robert De Niro has bet a ton of money, enough money to be able to buy and own a restaurant. But while they're at the game, they're tailgating outside and a fight breaks out. And Pat gets involved and the police get involved and Pat gets in a lot of trouble. And then consequently, the Eagles lose the game. (gasps) So later, when they're discussing who went what with the juju, Tiffany comes in on the Solitano house and is rightfully indignant that Pat stood her up for their dancing rehearsal. And Robert De Niro is very upset that Tiffany is there, but Tiffany convinces Robert De Niro that she is in fact good luck because every time that Pat and she had been out, the Eagles had won. And she at Robert De Niro devised this plan to go double or nothing on De Niro's original bet with a parlay. So you have to win two bets. The first bet is that the Eagles beat the Cowboys on the 28th. And the second bet is that Pat and Tiffany get a 5 out of 10 score on the, their dancing competition, also on the 28th of December. Fellas. And so he's getting, they're practicing, they're getting really, they're really good at it. And Pat stops for a little bit because he hears her when she's given this passionate speech about how together they'll be able to, they'll be able to do this and it's good luck and everything. She says something that reminds him of the letter, specifically a phrase in there he'd never heard Nikki use but that she used herself. So he goes and takes a look at the letter and it's all typed out and he realizes Nikki didn't write this letter. 
Tiffany wrote this letter. So she's been lying to me this whole time. And so he walks outside and he's frustrated and he's thinking to himself, he's like, well, why? Like, what am I going to, like, how am I going to deal with this? And then he comes to a conclusion that he's just, he's going to move forward. He's going to try it anyway. He's just, he's just going to go for it because, you know, he'll talk to her about it later. But at first he wants to find out what's going, you know, he wants to be able to make this happen for his dad and for him. And he's been working up to it. So they go to the ball and the dance competition, everybody's getting ready. And Tiffany's walking with him. They're very excited. And Tiffany looks over and she sees <gasps> Nikki is here. Uh-oh. Nikki's here. She's going to see how he's doing. She's going to think that he's better. And then he's going to be want to go back with her. And Tiffany, maybe Tiffany does love him and doesn't want to lose him. And oh my God, what am I going to do? And she goes into her own anxiety spiral. And she runs off and goes to the bar and is like, bartender, get me a vodka. And she doesn't care anymore. She's just going to get smashed. And then it's almost time. And Pat's looking around. He's like, I can't, I can't find her. What am I going to do? And he's like, the bar and he runs over the bar and he finds her and he's like what are you doing she's like it doesn't matter anymore everything's horrible i'm just gonna drink anyway and he's like but wait no you know we we gotta do this competition you're ready i'm ready let's go and they go out there and this entire time in the background you've seen these like awesome dancing with the stars competitors spinning and twirling around on the dance floor everybody looking fine and fire everything going off getting like 7.9 and they look like you know they've been professionals for years And these guys go out there and like, we're going to bomb. But they actually do a really okay, good job. And they mix a little bit of funk in there with a little salsa and waltzing. And it looks pretty good. They stumble a little bit on the catch, but it's okay because they recover and they were happy. And the judges pull up all their scores and they have a perfect 5.0 across it out of 10, but it was enough for the bet. And so all the competitors are like, oh, we're so sorry. You know, it's not a great store, but it's okay. And they're like, oh my God, we won. Oh my God. ah!" And they're like, why are they so happy about a 5.0? Fellas. So everyone's celebrating and excited. Pat looks over and Nikki's there and he walks over to go talk to her. And Tiffany is like, oh, I can't believe this guy's still going to go to his wife. And she takes off. And Pat and Nikki have a lovely conversation. It's like, oh, you look good. You lost some weight. Yeah, yeah. And then he whispers something and he turns around and he's like, where's Tiffany? And his family's like, she took off. And he's like, oh, I got to go get her. And he runs outside and he's like, Tiffany. And she's like, ah, and they start running down the street because, you know, jogging. <laughs> Possibly a theme, eh, Robbie? Mm. And they catch up and they're like, hey, turns out, read this letter that I wrote. And he's like, oh, another freaking letter. Why don't you give it to Nikki yourself? And he's like, just read the letter and I'll never talk to you again. And he reads it and it's a letter to Tiffany saying that he loves her. And then there's this little epilogue where everyone's in the house watching the Eagles and Pat and Tiffany are there and they're all snuggly up and it's cute. And that's the movie. Hooray. Yay. That's it. Nothing else happens. Go home. Just kidding. Thanks everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And that was our synopsis. Fellas, given all this that we now know, what was your favorite part? I want to get some baseline. Nick, what was your favorite part? My favorite part is just how Pat's friend from the mental hospital, Danny, keeps showing up and the police keep having to take him back to the facility. Like it happens like four times. Like he just walks out, Chris Tucker, by the way, and just shows up at at random times and says some weird mumbo jumbo. I'm like, oh, I'm all all better. And he's like, I get it in the car. It's like loopholes. He's like, ah, if this happens on your case, you can get out. And they're Mm -hmm. like, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) <laughs> and the next time he's like, oh, but then this happened. And so I get to get out. And they're like, oh, you got to go back. He's, <laughs> he's like, really they're to be their own lawyer, one. but never actually read the book. <laughs> Greg, what was your favorite part? My favorite part, probably their dance at the end. It was a delight. It's a nice mm-hmm. capper. I like how it switches genres. I like how the dance moves switch with the music changes. You see them practicing these different styles to different music, but you think that they're just trying out different styles, not that they're going to harsh cut from different song to different song and yeah, mm-hmm. put yeah. them all together. It yeah. reminded me a lot of Little Miss Sunshine because it's like, oh, we got to have a dance at the end of our movie. <laughs> it was pretty trendy at the time. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. I love that movie. There's not a lot of uh, movies that end with a dance competition nowadays. You know, it's a rare thing. it ran its course. Yeah. After you know, maybe it's time it. to bring it back. Relic no. of the past. No. <laughs> Robbie, what was your favorite part? Other than the dance sequence, which was wonderful for a lot of the themes and symbols in it. <laughs> my other favorite is the dinner scene in the beginning when Tiffany and Pat first meet each other. 
the performances there were exquisite by everyone involved. It was very natural. And the way that they kind of adjust to each other and then they hit it off was realistic. Like I've been in groups, people where it's like, for not this, not exactly the same circumstances, but where it's like, for example, talking about something that like either grief and like grieving counseling or um, when you're breaking some like AA or something and you're talking about quitting smoking and one person brings up like, oh, well, you know, I was on Wellbutrin. They're like, oh, Wellbutrin, well, I was on Shantix and this was all the stuff that happened to me. And it's like, oh, well, let me tell you. And they hit it off and they broke that ice. Mm -hmm. It didn't sound scripted, which was great. And just the cinematography of that entire section and everyone interplaying with each other with the married couple and everything, perfect. I do like that the sister is like trying to get them to connect on normal things. And they're just not connecting at all. And the drugs they've taken for their mental illness is like, oh, yeah, this sucks. Oh, have you had this? Oh, man, that stuff's the worst. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of truth to the, have you tried Blink? Oh, yeah, Blink is awful. <laughs> that whole conversation. It's like going you, to Caleb? I think my favorite part is the scene where Tiffany comes in during the argument that Pat is having with his family and... Robert De Niro is fighting with his booker. Is that what it's called? Bookie. Like a, bookie. bookie. The bookie, Randy. And they're doing that whole scene. But then Tiffany just like takes over the scene and she lays out all the facts. And then she sets up the third act single-handedly. And it's all within the power of her character. And it's a great performance. It's an Oscar-winning performance. Well-deserved, I'd say. But I just think it's at that moment where I connect with everyone and everything and i want them all to succeed so bad do you guys think after the one time he took his medicine and finally fixed the window do you think that he continued to take his medicine or he was healed through the power of dance medicine okay because i remember the first time i saw this i remember thinking this is a dangerous movie because it's one of those stories where it's like you don't need to take your doctor prescribed medicine you'll be fine on your own I but this time was. he definitely did take his medicine. And what's your guys' opinion? If, does he keep taking it? Because I don't ever really bring it up again mm -hmm. after that. I thought it was him finally getting a connection with someone where instead of having a relationship where he felt like he was ever victimized or like felt like he was, wasn't in equal footing, he was able to just like connect with just her, sit down, listen to the music, figure out the dance and spend all his time doing it. Like he would leave the house right in the morning I'm assuming his pills are in the kitchen so his parents can monitor them. And he just leaves like from the stairs out. And then so he So you think he home. didn't take his medicine? I don't I don't believe so, because he comes home and okay. passes out immediately. And so there's no area where he'd like necessarily need to take them in order to contain himself because I know that's a it, it, You see, that's a dangerous like, thing to portray in a movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I and disagree. media loves to do that. You don't need to take your medicine. You'll be fine if you just let your personality fly. It's like, no, yeah. dude, you well, didn't prescribe this for a reason. There's a line later on uh, where he, he does mention a couple times, and of course you could say he's lying. But for the purposes of the story, he doesn't really lie. In fact, his problem is he's too blunt and he's too open. And he says, like, I, but I've been taking, you know, I've been taking my meds. I've been doing this. And he does that around the beginning of Act 3. He has that little bit of a breakdown. It was right around the time where he realizes that uh, he has to make a choice between Tiffany and what's going on. And it was right around the time when the letter stuff happened. But he, he admitted that, yes, he'd been taking his medications. And I think it kind of makes sense in that way because they focused on that scene where the dad makes sure he swallows it. And then, you know, he doesn't spit or anything, which we saw very clearly in the beginning. They made sure to show that he spit that out. Like it landed on the mm -hmm. floor. We had a whole scene looking at it and this was supposed to be like a difference. And they're replacing the window, etc. I think was him taking his meds, which I could yeah, see. In the beginning, he's like such an asshole. He doesn't take his medicine. He throws the book out the window at 4 a.m. Yep. And there's mm -hmm. some, several times Robert De Niro's like, hey, you need to fix this window. And he's like, I'll do it later. But as soon as he takes his medicine, like the next cut is him like fixing the window. Mm -hmm. I, I think it definitely could have made that more clear. And going back to what you said, Greg, Hollywood doesn't like to press or pressure on that because that can be a hot button issue. But... I would say that for my own sanity, because I really, really like this movie. I don't know if you guys can tell, but oh, um, I can tell. <laughs> I really like this film, and as someone who wants to go into you know psychiatric type things, I don't want the film 
to be that way. And so since it's kind of up to your, up to your opinion on what you, you know, your view of whether he did or not, I'm just going to go with he did because it makes me feel better about the movie. I like to think that writers who tend to tackle mental illness either had an uh, instance of it in their past or have seen someone ha- like either personal or um, someone that was close to them go through that struggle. And when it's personal, you feel like you're being taken out of who you are with the like antidepressants or things like, like what Vicodin, like that's sort of like the general, like toned down. Oh, Xanax. Xanax. You're thinking Xanax. Yes. Which they brought up in the. Mm -hmm. Tiffany was taken, I believe. So what that does is it really, um, it slows you down. So you're able to think about stuff allegedly from what I've heard from people who have taken those type of medicines. So in order to be like super creative, when you have an illness like this, you sort of need to not be on such a high dose or something. So a lot of the time they get to the point where they feel like glorifying being off it makes them seem like they're stronger because they can get through their illness without having said medication. Because if they had left their creativity flow without having any sort of depressant on it, it helps them later on. Which is one of the, um, it's one of the biggest issues actually with psychiatric medication and a lot of people who basically a lot of times in psychiatry, you expect that your patients are not going to fully adhere to your medication because one of the core tenets is as part of when someone starts to get better, if they start thinking things like, oh, well, I'm better. I don't need this anymore. And then they don't take it and they spiral. That's why that, that's a trope. That's why that happens. And because there's a whole bunch of stigma in, especially in America about mental illness and taking pills, taking medications, seeing like you're weak. Or like you said, with some people where they're like, well, I'm not as creative. It's similar to like how, you know, there are writers who would only write when they're high on opium or when they're smashed drunks. See Stephen King, for example, to where there was a period of time. Okay. where it was like, Yep. There was a period of time where they were like, if I don't have my drug of choice, I can't do my art. And uh, almost universally afterward, when they're asked later, when they like, especially with Stephen King, he's like, no, like, it's not the same. Like, I absolutely felt that way and it's different. But each person has a different journey. But yeah, that's that's one of those things that comes up a lot because a lot of people. Well, that's why I like the therapist. He's like, I don't feel good on these drugs. You know, I get bloated. I, I feel fuzzy. He's like, well, just take the drugs. And if you feel like you're getting better, we'll slowly lower the dosage. But don't just don't take the drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that's another thing because a lot of times you can go like with depression and stuff. And for, from my own experiences and things, you can go through a lot of medications before you find something that helps you with whatever your issue might be. Or like I know someone very close to me who it wasn't until like their ninth antidepressant that they found something that didn't have horrible side effects that at the same time, you know, kept the, kept the illness at bay along with their therapy and everything that they were going through. So I like that the movie touched on that struggle because a lot of times people skip that entire thing over. Cause like you said, it's like the, just through the power of dance, we can improve our outlook on life. Which, uh, Physical activity and having a creative outlet is also important in just yeah. a, a balanced lifestyle sort of way. Yep, definitely. But it's not going to cure your bipolar disorder. It is very hard to find antidepressants that don't come with explosive diarrhea. So, <laughs> is that a fact? <laughs> or, or horrible side effects, yes, unfortunately. So, Robbie is clearly in love with this movie. What did everyone else think? Uh, what about you, Greg? No, you. Turn the Uno reverse card. What did you think Ooh. of this one? You go first. No, I asked the question. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Should I go? Because Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I both love and hate this movie. I hate cringy movies because it like viscerally hurts me. And Pat or Bradley Cooper's character, just when he does stuff that he's not supposed to, or how like obsessed he is with Nikki, it makes me so uncomfortable, which is it's all the performances are amazing. And that's why it, like, makes me viscerally, like, upset and, like, unhappy in my seat. Like, I had to, like, pause it because I'm like, okay, I have to remind myself, this is fake. It's not happening. These are, like, just actors doing the thing. But when he, like, goes up to the teacher and just, like, gets in her business and, like, tries to work his way into the school. Or, like, right when he turns jogging to go to the school for the first time, it's like, don't stop. Don't do it. It's hurting me. But he still does it. But it's for the good of the plot. But stuff like that is just... I have like a visceral reaction, like Robbie and puns. Yeah. I don't like it. But yet 
it's so amazingly acted and the story is beautiful minus the pain on how you look at that uh the drug thing mm. and also like the boy eats raisin bran he can't be that bad <laughs> that's true he's a raisin bran boy test. i was gonna say i love raisin bran be very careful about you do two word. scoops yeah two <laughs> scoops of raisins like you can't beat that <laughs> perfect amount one scoop is too little three scoops is too many uh, so caleb yeah do you so, like this movie on a rewatch yeah i really like this movie i think what it comes down to is definitely the relationship between pat and tiffany and it's how they help each other you know get through life there was that quote in the, the denouement of the story that like life will beat you up 10 ways to Sunday and there's no way around that. So this sort of general gist, uh, my takeaway is that, you know, life is hard, but, but it's worth living for. And I like that moment uh, in the end when Pat reveals that he wrote Tiffany a letter a week ago that he knows that uh, the letter from Nikki was fake and that Pat actually loves Tiffany and you know, we're having that wonderful romantic moment and they're, they're smooching out in the open. And the camera, you know, swoops around them a bit and we see specific shots of like their hands on each other's shoulders. And I think that is a beautiful representation for how they care for each other and how they help each other cope as they move through life. I thought that was really beautiful and a very simple way to represent that. The first time I watched this movie back in 2012, I remember really liking it. We're thinking it was spectacular, echoing all the things you guys are saying. On this rewatch, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It didn't <laughs> capture me quite as well. I don't know if it's just time or the mood I was in when I watched it. I just wasn't as drawn to it. I think Bradley Cooper is really good. And Jennifer Lawrence is a competent actress, but you can tell in some of the more dramatic scenes and to be fair, she was only 22 at the time. She doesn't have like enough life experience or she's just a little too young to be portraying these emotions. And it just kind of performance is a little flat in some of the more intense scenes. Oh, you think so? And I, yeah. And I, I feel like that for right around this time, Jennifer Lawrence in general, people were throwing a lot of Oscars at her. I think it's because they wanted to push the narrative of Jennifer Lawrence I think she is good. I don't think she's as good as everyone thinks she is. I definitely think she's much better now, but yeah, you said, I think she's good. I just, there's times where I'm like, Oh, I can, if there was a different actress, it might have been better. I heard Anne Hathaway was almost going to play this part, but there's a scheduling conflict. And I think that might've been, it'd be interesting to see in that world, what would have happened. What might have been. To throw my hat in the acting ring. I did feel like some points, like, she was a little, like, trying to, like, push the emotion more than, like, feeling it. No hate, she won an Academy Award for this. But one reason I feel like she won that award was 2012 over, or 2013 was the award she won for. The overall movies that year were just sort of, eh. Like, there was a more, like, that was nominated. Yikes. Yeah, I looked them up, and there didn't seem to be a, a lot of competition. But it's still very enjoyable overall. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the first time I definitely remember being like, this is great. Everyone should watch this. Mm-hmm. But on the second watch, it was, it was pretty good. You know, it wasn't bad. I think it was more just a it. slow year. So it was like <gasps> something good. Mm-hmm. Not. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as the performances go, I think the best performance, I can't think of the actress's name, but the one that did the mother, I thought she did a fantastic job. Uh, the one Weaver. that played Dolores. Yeah. She did a fantastic job. She sold it perfectly as like kind of, you know, a harried mother who's like, I really care and I want this to work. But at the same time, oh, I've seen this go badly before. And I just, I love him. I do love him. But uh, yeah. And she just sold that perfectly the whole way through. And especially like whenever, you know, Robert Jr. was doing his shenanigans and she was just in the corner like, okay, dear. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just stay out of his study. That Yes, dear. Of course. Like, oh, it was great. Because I know someone who acts just like that, and I was like, yep, stolen straight. Yeah, I think it's a very genuine character and a very genuine performance. And you really feel bad for Dolores because she's got these two men in her life who are seemingly self-destructive. You know, and De Niro puts it all on a football game, and Bradley Cooper is 
sort of still uh, obsessing over his ex-wife and she's doing her best to keep it together and you can't help but just feel so bad for her and i think it's also a really good performance to robbie there i really like the interplay too because it's more subtle but the ocd of the father and his arc is kind of in the background but it really mirrors what's going on with the son and like you said dolores is just kind of balancing the two as the straight man to the act basically I feel like Pat is definitely just the carry of the entire movie, though. He, uh, not only is it centered around him, but just the development you get from him is mm-hmm. yeah, inspiring in a way. But you also see that he's not a bad person. He just has trouble filtering himself overall. Like when he first meets Tiffany, the first thing he does is compliment her and look at her face and like do that. But then, you know, he goes to boobs. He goes to the fingernails and he goes to the cross. So he like is actually like interested in her and wants to like try to like figure her out before she like, because he's not used to people opening up to him. Mm -hmm. So he tries to take any sort of um, physical indication of what she could be like and then build off and gain information. But he looks at the face first. Yeah. I like the scene where after their date in the diner, they're kind of arguing and somebody mentions Tavi and he goes, no, he's dead. And she starts crying. And he's like, oh, geez. And then she starts hugging him. And he's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this yeah, is not how to like, process the emotion. Yeah. And what I, really, what I also really like about this is that it avoids the Hollywood trap of making someone with a mental illness either a saint or a devil, which is usually the, the two settings. It's like, oh, does this character have a, pro- you know, have a mental problem? Well, they, might, they must either be Mother Teresa or they're, you know, the you know Boss Tweed or the Joker, yeah. And so it, it, it was a very boss human... <laughs> it was a very human take on it, and I, I, I liked that. That scene was just great because he was just like, wait, what? What are you doing? I, I don't... What? <laughs> okay, we're hugging now. <laughs> <laughs> Little antithesis for you, Robbie. Chris Tucker is an angel. He is so cute in this movie. I <laughs> he really is great. Is. I could not. I like when he gets out maybe the third time and he goes over to Tiffany's dance studio and he's like, oh, let's see your dance. Ooh, I have ideas. Try it like this. And he just mm-hmm. gives him different like dance moves to try. Mm-hmm. It's great. A little montage. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm convinced Chris Tucker's eyes are growing over the years. He's <laughs> just getting cuter like, and cuter eyes. Yeah. It's it's great it's because go full he, anime by the end. Of yeah, visit Japan once. <laughs> full anime, just, but he does a great job of being comic relief. Like that's comic relief done well. Where it's not distracting from the plot. It's like a, it's a gentle break, but it doesn't like stay. It's welcome. A lot of times in romantic comedies, you get that comic relief character where you're like. In the beginning, you're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And by the end, you're just like, can we just stop? Just remove them. They've made no progress whatsoever. And they're dragging down the plot. And, you know, he doesn't do that in this. He's, it's just at every time, it's just, oh, this is a charming intermission. And now back to what we're doing. So mm-hmm. I like that. Oh, Greg, um, something that I wanted your, uh, your thoughts on, because I didn't notice it until my second time watching it, because I watched it a couple of times. And, um, How many times is a couple? Two. Oh, okay. But on the second watch, I noticed the camera work was very, whenever he was in his manic episodes, the camera work was very jittery and very like this scene to this scene, cut, cut, cut. And then for the rest of it, it was kind of calm. And I just thought it was interesting because I normally don't notice that type of camera work, but I know that you do film stuff. I did, so I didn't know if there was like anything special about the camera work here that was, that needed merit or. No, just it's, it's good to represent his mental state with the camera work to get the audience to empathize. Oh, yeah, I, think, I was just, it was very jittery. Yeah, I think that kind of thing is reinforced in a lot of other ways as well. Uh, chiefly the music. I think the soundtrack of this movie is all over the place. I mean, you got Bob Dylan, you got several references to Metallica. I don't know. Do we ever get a Metallica song? I don't remember. I don't believe uh, so. Yeah. Don't so no. We get Unsquare Dance. Uh, which is a, a jazzy little piano song. And of course, My Sherry Amour by Stevie Wonder, which I had no it's idea. Song. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that I could get stressed out listening to Stevie Wonder, but here we are. I think it was the first time we see Pat in therapy uh, with Cliff, his therapist. And 
like he's describing the scene as he discovered that uh, Nikki was an infidel and my Sharia Moore is playing in the background. And I, something about the combination of the song and the frantic editing and the narration by Bradley Cooper, I just got stressed out. I don't know if anyone else was feeling that, but I just, it was very immersive. I felt like I was right there along with him feeling, feeling all that anxiety. There, I definitely like, I thought that was like the, where it first began, but then it turns out that like two weeks before he called them into the school saying that they were embezzling funds. So at first I was like, I sympathize with him and then oh, I still do. Cause you know, it sucks to get cheated on. But then he also like his disease was taking control of him before that or illness. Yeah. He didn't get bipolar disorder from being cheated on. He yeah. had it, <laughs> but this is what triggered the stay in the hospital. Caleb, I think that's the first time I've ever heard the actual use of the word infidel for someone doing infidelity. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a noun, right? I was like, infidel? Is it? Oh, shit. No, you're right. That yeah, day, I, I believe that's the actual definition. <laughs> well, thank you. You know. I, just, I like how in therapy, the camera, like the overall quality of the room behind the camera starts to like get very pixelated when the therapist is talking. And then when it like pans back to Pat, uh, I think, I don't know if it's just like the white walls and how it reacts with the camera, but it looked like it was representing um, Pat not wanting to fully be there. So he's like half paying attention. Half of him is just sort of off in a Pat land with raccoons with guns. <laughs> <laughs> and a big tree, man. Uh, to finish off my thoughts about Pat, I think that, or I wanted to get your, you fellas opinion on the last scene where Pat goes and talks to Nikki and uh, he whispers something uh, in her ear and we don't know. I don't know if anyone has any theories about this because I don't, but I think more importantly is he follows up that conversation with Nikki with the conversation about, uh, with his father and the two of them, they get together and Robert De Niro essentially says like, you know, don't let Tiffany go. You got a great thing going when, when life reaches out to you, you have to reach back. And, you know, I think in terms of expressing the subtleties of a relationship between an adult son and uh, his father, I think there's a lot of progress that gets done in that little analogy or that little metaphor that just like, even though they're not directly talking about their, their problems, which throughout the whole movie have been like, Pat sort of gets all of his tendencies from his father and it sort of gets handed down and it's even cemented in the fact that he's not just Pat, he's Pat Jr. And I think that catharsis that the two of the two of them talking, it was just, it was so satisfying to see. Yeah, Robert De Niro is a joy to watch in this movie because mm -hmm. he can express all of these things in his action and emotion and his inflection and still play this kind of closed up father who wants, he was reaching out for this relationship with his son, but still doesn't know how to do it. Yeah. It's done really well as far as it doesn't hammer it over your head, but like in, when he goes in there and he's lying in the bed and he's like, Hey son, I just, you know, why don't you want to stay with me and you can talk and we can talk together and we can watch this football game together and talk about your stuff. So he's, he's trying while he is also doing it because he's, you know, he's compulsive, a compulsive gambler, etc. At the same time, he's like, but I, I want to try and reach out to him, even though it doesn't work until the very end when he realizes like, okay, I'm going to impart some wisdom to my boy. And in doing so, I'm going to move forward with him. And so he grabs him, you know, by the shoulder and is like, please listen to me. Like, if nothing else, go get her. I don't know if Nikki ever really loved you, but she sure doesn't love you now. Go. That type of thing. So that, that was a very powerful scene, yeah. He brings on that strong dad energy. Yeah, I got to imagine he's basically telling Nikki probably something along the lines of, I forgive you and I'm going to leave you alone now mm -hmm. you know what, what i thought he said was um remember in lord of the flies when they said <laughs> asmar instead of asthma wasn't that funny 
Yeah, that, that took 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> He's giving them the context. Like, so I was reading that book, Lord of the Flies, and it's this book about, and he starts like giving the synopsis. But anyway, Asmar. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time she's just like, oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Pigsy like could have just moved from that boulder, right? Uh, <laughs> did you say Pigsy? He did say Pigsy. <laughs> What was That's his name again? Piggy. 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 It's been five years. <laughs> Wait, no. Seven. Wow. Those are Man, Nick. That is a number of years. Nick. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, a final question before we go into uh, a certain Robbie's themes. <gasps> Robert De Niro asks you to watch football with him. Are you going to say no? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and why? <laughs> I don't, I don't like even football. like football, but I'd watch it with Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, I'd have no clue what was going on, but I'd be Robert like, De Niro, yeah, Robert Pat De Niro, Senior. whatever you say. Mm-hmm. Is it Pat Senior? Because Take it's very pick. different. Take your pick. It's Robert De Niro. I would totally right, do Robert it. De Niro, I'd, just, I'd be passing him the entire time. Um, yeah. So remember that t- that time at Casino when you uh, broke the guy's hand? Was that a prop <laughs> hand or like those, that a, like, a mallet, <laughs> like a rubber mallet and like blood packets? And um, um, remember in... In a shark tail, the Irishman, when you beat up the store guy and you were very slow, that was funny. <laughs> you remember in Analyze This when you shot that pillow? That was fun. <laughs> remember Poor how Robert you weren't in your Godfather? <laughs> what about you, Caleb? Uh, let's see, it's a tough one because, like, if not Robert De Niro, I would say, like, mm, maybe Joe Pesci would be fun to watch football with. Um, well, that wasn't on the table. Yeah, well, I was gonna. The table was. (laughs) Well, you know, just I I assume they talk. So he'd be like, "Be like, hey, you want to watch football?" I'd be like, "No, but is Joe available?" So conceivably, we would be watching football with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Martin Scorsese would show up halfway through, and Marlo Brando. (laughs) (laughs) Fellas, is about that time. Is it that time? Is it that time? Nick, what time is it? Well, now it's time for Robbie's themes. <laughs> the longer the break. Thank you, Nick. So I really like this film because of the way that it treats mental illness. I think that it treats it well, uh, with the exception of being a little bit vague on the medication taking, which I agree probably should have been more clear. But there are a lot of themes in here that don't have to deal with mental illness or overcoming mental illness that anyone can kind of take from this. And so one of the ones I wanted to focus on and get your guys' thoughts on was what scene you thought most exemplified moving on. Because with the jogging and all the symbolism of movement, of trying to move forward or being stuck in a loop where they would, they would keep running their same paths until they would break off, things like that. What do you guys think? I've got one. So you're asking like, which scene envel- uh, encompasses moving on the most? Yes. Okay. I've got to say it's that scene where Pat is thinking over what Tiffany just said about uh, if it's me reading the signs or something to that effect. And he's like, wait a minute. And he pulls out the letter from quote unquote Nikki. And he realizes that Tiffany wrote the letter. And we know that old Pat at the beginning of the movie would have blown up about it. He would have been very upset. But instead, Pat just sort of takes the moment to reflect and he uh, becomes really introspective. And that's the moment that we see him sort of turn around. And then it, I think there's like a quiet montage after that of them practicing and getting ready for the dance competition. And I think it's in that little moment that shows the most growth on Pat's part because I was thinking like if I was in Pat's shoes, that's the moment when like it's just time to take a jog and and blow out, blow off some steam but he starts to think and reflect and i think that's the biggest growth that is exemplified in the, in the film i think it's when tiffany is changing in the dance studio and he like lingers on her changing and then he realizes that he's getting too connected to someone and he's finally realizing his feelings fully that's why he runs the hell out of there and starts going on a jog again and while he's on the jog, he like reflects on the time he spent in the dance studio and like how a relationship is finally evolving after so long. And just the thought of not objectifying her and like treating her how she like said she doesn't want to be anymore. 
by giving her the privacy of like leaving before he sees anything. And finally, again, respecting someone. I think it's a scene where Pat goes to Tiffany's house and she goes to the front door and talks to her parents. And then this other guy rolls up and he's like, Hey, is Tiffany here? And he's like, Hey man, you need to get out of here. All right. Let me, let me wipe your car. It's like, she texted me. He's like, look, she is a beautiful, intelligent young woman. And he had to leave her alone and respect her. And he basically is not mm-hmm. treating her as this instrument to deliver this letter or just this person that he can use. He finally like sees her as a person and not just something he can use to further his goals. Mm-hmm. A friend. Yeah. Yeah, I like that scene a lot. It's a really sweet scene and you see like the, the best side of Pat, I think. But only for like in the next scene for him to turn around and be like, see, I did that for you. And you're like, oh, well, you might still have a little bit left to go. I definitely agree that all those are very good points for it um, because it also blends into another theme, which is uh, transference. So a lot of times people that are going through um, grief or going through stress will start to project their feelings and their problems onto other people. It's called transference where it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm grieving over this. So I will just suddenly switch my focus onto you and make you into a proxy. And so I think in the beginning of that relationship of like going the back and forth in his head, I think he might've been transferring his feelings of obsession from Nikki onto Tiffany before they started actually growing as like a relationship. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm, I got to use her so I can get this. And in the back of his mind. And I think the undressing scene that Nick mentioned was really the time where that stopped, where he was like, what am I doing right now? Like, I've got to reassess all of what I'm seeing because I don't feel the same way as I do before. And it's another issue with on Tiffany's side, because Tiffany has been coping by uh, seeking out attention and comfort from others, basically being like, I can't deal with this on my own or with like a small group, I, I just need to call these people up. And uh, so that scene, it, when, he ca- when she did, she texted the dude to come, to come because she's like, I need, I need support. I need someone. And then when he's like, well, you know, you don't need to treat her like this. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's actually fighting for me. I think that was an adjustment on her part too. So yeah, those are my two things I thought uh, were pretty universal in this. What about you guys? What do you guys think? Any other themes jump out at you? Personally, no. All my notes are like, haha, garbage bag, Hemingway. <laughs> One of my favorite notes I have is five on the nose, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lazy movie. Fuck you. Yeah. It, that was lazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's probably in the book, so they like, couldn't change it. Apparently, Jackie Weaver, they did a couple takes where they were doing the scores. And she kind of averaged them out and pulled the producer aside and says, that doesn't add up to five. And they're like, oh, <laughs> so they changed it. <laughs> Are you telling me David O. Russell did the math wrong when he was writing this thing? I'm telling you that Jackie Weaver saved the movie. Dang. <laughs> that have been so embarrassing at uh, whichever film festival they premiered this at, where everyone in the audience is like, hmm, hmm. All these snooty French people at Cannes are like, <laughs> bullshit <laughs> yeah, to be honest i was too lazy to like average them out <laughs> like when i was watching it i'm like 4.8 4. 4.6 4.8 4. 5.4 yeah i don't give a shit <laughs> that's close enough <laughs> <laughs> it's the so one of these has to be over five okay 5.4 5, 4. five <laughs> on the nose <laughs> said out loud bullshit <laughs> i was also like it could have been like 5.1 or something like that would have been fine yeah. But, but like point var five. 5.0. Yeah. If Nikki's at the competition, then Pat can't be there, right? Well, Pat was there first. So, I mean, I don't know how it works. But he has Nick- to stay away from her. Uh, it's like a restraining order. Yeah. yeah but I think she should not enforce it, though. In order well, for it to be effective, she has to call it in. I'm yeah. not sure what Pennsylvania is because are. But you're he supposed to respect the restraining order. Yeah. No, 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 no. But she came to see the dance. He was already going there. It's her fault. You can't just, that's, there's a, word, there's a whole thing for it. Um, trying to get someone to put in jail for 
explain. Oh, that's entrapment. Yeah, entrapment. Hold on. Yeah. Also, fuck that bitch. <laughs> the infidel. <laughs> hey, now let's be classy. A pox on that infidel, shall we? My favorite part of the intro was Caleb being like, "How do I not say fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me. <laughs> I think that well, Nikki came with Ronnie and Veronica, mm-hmm. who both knew that Pat was going to be performing at the uh, at the ball. Yeah. So I think Nikki then knew that she was going to be in the same building as Pat, and therefore was okay with it. So then I think. Well, I'm not saying that she wasn't right? okay with that, but the law says you have to stay mm-hmm. however far away. You don't get to just turn on and off a restraining order. That's not how that works. Well, technically, yes. if it's not reported, because it has to be enforced. Just like if you kill someone, if it's not reported, it's fine. <laughs> technically, if they don't find you, nobody, no you're, crime. you're good to go. <laughs> Apparently. It's not good, but like try to get a face ID on me. So, in pennsylvania it's called a protection from abuse order and it is a basic restraining order to keep them to keep a distance and uh it can order you eviction or to leave from the area so technically a stay away order would cause him to have to leave Mm. in pennsylvania hear that movie we got you (laughs) <laughs> like we got you on your five we got you on your restraining order loophole that doesn't exist Mm-mm. welcome to gotcha the podcast yeah uh-huh. <laughs> we get movies according to uh phillydefenseattorneys.com not sponsored i did though <laughs> we're not getting plagiarism on this podcast no sir speaking of sponsored uh i have a note here movie sponsored by apple no kidding i was right? wondering <laughs> I'm like, there was a lot of iPod touches in this. iPod, <laughs> there was. Every computer is an Apple. They built the iPod docks in the wall that uh, this was before they changed the charger. I know. Like, I was watching that, and, like, they had those old iPods that had the uh, the music wheel on it. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. And Let's I was just... watching that scene, and I was like, mm, they're going to regret that decision in, in like, four years. It's yes. not going to be a long time before that lightning cable comes out. It's like everyone who buys a smart house and the company goes under and all of their products are no longer usable because (laughs) (laughs) the network goes down. And the, uh, yeah, it's just that the whole like 45 second scene where they're just focusing on, but everybody has an Apple product. You don't have an iPhone. We have an iPhone. Honey, give me your iPhone to put in this iPhone dock. I'm like, oh boy. I liked when um, he's like explaining there's 7,000 songs on this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. i didn't even realize that what a, <laughs> that's more I was, than seven mixtapes i was thinking about like after that moment where pat and tiffany kiss we get like the the denouement and there's a brief montage of like the dance studio where they fell in love and then here's this shot of tiffany's macintosh laptop and her iPod touch and then back to the studio where they fell in love. That's why that's what prompted me to write it down. This is a serious amount of Apple products and Apple specific charging cords. And Mm -hmm. it really brought me back um, with Robert De Niro's like an incessive gambling and the old Apple products not only brought back, but I just watched uncut gems again. And um, I was like, Adam Sandler, he has the crappy iPhone. And he's a bad gambler. Totally off topic, but that was in my head the first time I saw Robert De Niro like freak out on like the Eagles are losing their juju. <laughs> Possible future movie, everybody. The yeah. crossover of obsessive gamblers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they need to do. Like they bring all the uh, like they they do these movies where they bring all the crime legends together from crime movies. They just need to bring everyone together from all of the obsessive gambler movies where they all obsessively gamble together. It's like the Avengers of obsessive gambling. I'd yeah. watch it. I don't know. Yeah, but only half of them are alive at the end, so. Dang. <laughs> Sponsored by Gamblers Anonymous. <laughs> that was, that was, a, was out of left field sort of thing that came in there. Can we speak of the greatness of Dr. Patel? Please. He is, yes. very, he is very much uh, professional. 
in the streets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eagle, Eagle's bad in the sheets. <laughs> uh, a therapist I'm... in the street. <laughs> I like how but it's like... great. And he's, he shows up and he's like, oh, I got the face painted and everything. <laughs> he's like, oh, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson. Jackson is the man. God, Doctor Patel, you're all right. He's like, so should I wear the the jersey or the Gap? Who's the jersey? Deshaun Jackson. He's the man. That's <laughs> and this hard cut to him walking up the steps with flowers, the wine, and the jersey. It was great. It caught me off guard when they're like, "It's the Asian invasion," and then it was um Indian people, Indians, yeah. and I'm like. Oh, that's part of Asia. Asia is a big place, accurate. dude. <laughs> I know. I always like Russia I, I, is in Asia. True. Yep. <laughs> I think of Chinese <laughs> and uh, Japanese when I think of Asia. I always I don't think of India because also it's like basically a subcontinent. It's so big. Yeah, you think of more East Asian than yes, like Middle East yeah. yes. and Russia. We don't talk about that. I really like Dr. Patel how he handles Pat because is like you said, it's very professional, but he's flexible. You know, a lot of times in movies, they'll have to be like the consummate high aristocratic. will take note, you know, very stern. Yes. Tell me more. Or they'll just be like the, you know, peace be with you and everything is fine. This guy's actually like using real cognitive behavioral therapy techniques that you would use with someone who might not immediately adhere to a program or process you know, yeah, and like you said, he about. knows how to work Pat. Or is like, well, if they know Nikki, maybe you get in good with them, and then they'll see that you're doing good, and maybe they'll tell Nikki. And he's like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I see your <laughs> game. Dr. Pell's like, yes, just be better, <laughs> get better. Yep, because because that's the thing. A lot of times, you know, and like I'm still in school for it. So I don't have any actual experience or experience for myself, but from what I've read, you know, a lot of times that's a big problem is that people think that it's going to be like one rigid way. And a lot of therapy is just throw stuff at the wall till you find something that sticks. And if someone's like, this doesn't really work for me, but this kind of does just be like, okay, sure. Like as long as it's getting you better. And so I, I, this one of the things about the movie that I really liked was his portrayal and he's great. Dr. Patel, a plus. Yeah. I like you. Nick. Catholic therapist under the bus there. <laughs> You're like, yeah, usually the classic, like, peace be with you, as it were. Well, uh, actually, I was thinking more like the, the Hollywood trope of, like, I'm going to go to a therapist, and they're either going to be this mean, cruel person with a book that makes me lie down, or they're going to be someone who's going to be, like, free love and peace and have your mushrooms and go be with you with your spirit. What kind of movies are you watching, Robbie? Well, more like series. I'm thinking of a lot of different police procedurals. Uh, Whenever they have psychiatrists on, it's always either like, you know, the killer psychiat- the killer's psychiatrist is always like super stern. Like, I don't know where we went wrong. Or the, I tried being his spirit guide and it just did not work. Here's a I reference no one will get. He's uh, basically describing the counselor from the amazing world of Gumball. <laughs> I like that reference. I have no clue what that is. So, yes. I, guess. <laughs> I just like how Dr. Patel is a host unto himself. I think he very easily could have been a plot device to move Pat from one motivation to the next. But I think with a great combination of script and performance, he becomes, like, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the movie. He and Chris Tucker, their performances are just so joyful that you just can't help but just love both of them. They're, they're just a lot of fun to watch. Fellas, you know what I learned from this movie? What do you learn? What? People from Philadelphia love to cheer. <laughs> <laughs> when <laughs> Pat has a fight with his parents and everyone calls the cop, everyone's cheering. <laughs> when they have that fight at the diner, everyone starts cheering. People just love to cheer in this movie. Yeah, they <laughs> are cheering. <laughs> Violence, let's cheer. <laughs> It was quite a commotion at the diner. Tiffany just like tries to do that magic trick where you pull the tablecloth, but without the tablecloth, she just smacks her hand across all the dishes and then just cheering erupts. It's a very chaotic scene. <laughs> I wanted to try some of the crabby snacks. Yeah. Mom's, <laughs> mom's making crabby snacks and homemades. I want to I know what type fish. of crabby snacks she means. Are they crab cakes or what? No, dude, they're not from Baltimore. <laughs> you know crab cakes? 
All right, you guys ready to do Would You Under What Circumstances? Yeah. All right, well then, Robbie, since you're so enthusiastic, would you recommend this movie? And if so, under what circumstances? I would absolutely recommend this movie. I think that under almost any circumstances, it's a little bit of rom-com. It's a little bit of uh, coming of age. And it's a nice story. It definitely has some more mature themes to it. So maybe not if you're like a child or something. But well, this, It's also this rated is... R, so I mean, you know. Oh, well, there's that, that too. <laughs> But like, it, it's pretty good for almost anybody looking to watch something that they can just warm up to. This is what I would think about as like a hot chocolate and curled up in a blanket type of movie. It's a nice movie. Nice. Uh, Greg, would you, under what circumstances? Yeah, I think I would. It is a good movie. It's got some, some intense parts. So I don't know about this hot chocolate and blanket business, but <laughs> it's definitely a good movie. It does have good performances. Like I said, some are better than others. It's great to see Robert De Niro playing something that's not a gangster, but still just great acting. Dance competition's fun. Overall, yeah, yeah check it out. Plus, Chris Tucker. Mm. Yes. I would not recommend this movie. <gasps> it's, it's a little, I don't know, for me, it's a little too cringe and, and or a little too real at points um, when I want a movie, unless I'm like looking for an intense movie. I usually want something that's enjoyable where I can relax while watching it instead of tense up and be like, stop it, dude. Oh, so it's not a bad movie, but there's other movies I'd recommend over it. Not Nick's cup of tea. No. Fair. I guess I just, I, I like curling up to movies with a little bit of tension, but maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> Actually, I know that I'm weird. So that works. That's, that's <laughs> that's, curl up is like you're watching the heat miser song on repeat. <laughs> no, no, like Science of the Lambs would be a curl-up movie and watch it with hot cocoa, but just less. It's a little yeah, less under the um, bed with like to Weirdsville. Well, kind of curl up and watch uh, Silence of the Lambs. It puts the lotion in the basket. I myself, I think I would recommend this movie. It's a bit more of a niche recommend. If we're looking over all of our big lists of things to watch, and it comes up, yeah, I think that's a recommendation. It's not just a watch all the time sort of movie. You have to be sort of in, in the right frame of mind. It is more of a slower character study than anything with a, a ton of plot, but it's beautiful and it's uplifting. And Chris Tucker as well. So that was our discussion of Silver Linings Playbook. Next week is Robbie's pick. Robbie, what are we watching next week? Next week, we're going to be watching Starship Troopers, the I 1997 film. Hey, that was I on my list, too. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie just gave the subtle hint that it might be satire before we started recording. And I was like, mm, it's Starship Troopers, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't give hints, Robbie. I Seriously. thought it was pretty broad. <laughs> Be like, mm, what movie is entirely satire that Robbie would like? <laughs> so feel free to watch along with us next week and listen. And please follow us on all the social medias. We are Four Film Fellas. That's F O U R Film Fellas on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.